Hi, this is Bishop Jim Hazelwood of the New England Synod. The Two Bald Pastors podcast includes some of the most obnoxious, obscene, and vile stuff that you can listen to on the internet. However, it's actually worthwhile listening to. I do. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Joe, how are you today? I am very good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing okay, but I'm I'm a little just beleaguered by the state of things. How about you? I totally agree with that. It is so hard to look around and see not only the, the hardships that we experience in our own life, but also the hardships of so many people across our communities and across the country. And I, I don't know about you, but I have no idea what to do or what to say to people when they express their anger or frustration or anything like that in not only my congregation, but also among my circle of friends and, and people I encounter within the community. Yeah, it's kind of a helpless feeling. There just seems to be so much uh, division around us on so many different fronts to the point where we don't, it's not even that we don't want to talk to each other anymore. There's just, it's, it's openly hostile. It really is. And, you know, we see that most often, I think, when we are online. You know, I have a number of friends on Facebook, and my news feed, especially around this election time, is just filled with pro this and anti that. And it's gotten to the point where I have had to unfollow some people who, you know, I'm okay with having disagreements about certain issues or, or whatever, but the anger level and the hostility has gotten so high, and it just really turns me off from wanting to engage in in social media or in particular relationships that I have. Yep, me too. Just watching puppy videos doesn't seem to be the solution. <laughs> no, no. It was for a while, but now it's gotten it, it to a has, different level. <laughs> it's a little bit of a distraction sometimes. But <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things to, just to, to lift up is, you know, we're, we're two people who are trying to engage the culture around us and try to uh, do it faithfully. And wow, it's uh, it's really hard to do that right now. Even just in bringing stuff up, there's hostility. Uh, have you experienced this? Because I know I have. I've had times where I've I've lifted up some of the problems that we've we've seen on the news when there's been shootings and people have died or or uh, police officers have died, the the refugee crisis, and and not trying to offer a solution or an endorsement of one side, but just to lift up that this is an issue we need to consider, think about how our faith intersects with it. It's really quite difficult. It is very difficult, and I have experienced the same thing, and, and it's hard when I sit down to work on you know a sermon for Sunday, and then I read something or see something that just makes the, the anger in people kind of get closer to the edge of, of boiling over, and I debate, do I include this in the sermon? Do I include this in my yeah, message? I do too. On the one hand, I think it's important as preachers to engage 
our sermons and what we do in worship with the other parts of life and the other parts of our world, but then I don't want that one thing that happened, whether it's a, a shooting or a social issue that's talked about, to overcome the message of the gospel that has to be preached on a Sunday morning, too. So it's it's really uh, difficult to be able to balance the two and then to maybe worry about the ramifications. If you do bring something up, what is going to happen? You know, I've had people make some comments to me about some of the things I mentioned in my sermon. I know that there are other colleagues that I see in some of the Facebook groups that we belong to that say, you know, I've re- received this this anonymous letter from someone because they weren't happy with something I said in my sermon. And it's just, it's really hard to find that balance and to know what is God calling us to do to combat the injustices in the world that we see on a daily basis now. Yeah, maybe it's easier to start with what not to do than what to do, because sometimes that's just an easier way to outline things. But like, I, I think not saying anything is probably the wrong thing to do. Right. Right. It's important to say something, even if you're nervous about it, and it's whether it's something from the pulpit or whether it's just a conversation that you're having at coffee hour with, with a number of people. I mean, it's, you know, when, when topics arise about what's happening in our world, it's important to say something, even if it makes you a little nervous to say it. Yeah, and I also think it's not helpful to blame other people for things. I do think it's good to say... I'm struggling with this. These are some of the things I've thought about. I think that's okay. And maybe even helpful. You're helping people enter into your own uncertainty about it or just attempt to be faithful. I also think it's probably not good to say this is the definitive answer to it either, just to just come down hard line on something one way or another or to not allow for disagreement or uh, just people having different views on it. Uh, For me, anyway, I, I I just think, you know, Scripture is pretty clear about caring for the neighbor, that that's our primary calling. And whether it's the people we're sitting next to in the pew or whether it's the outcast or the the poor or the people everybody doesn't like, <laughs> right. uh, I think God calls us to love them. Yep. And, and we need to figure out a way to do that. Now, is there different strategies to do that? Absolutely. Um, are there things that work and don't work? Uh, yeah, we're learning that constantly dehumanizing them somehow is not the way to go. We're trying to protect ourselves from even dealing with it by just crawling in a hole. I think that's not the right way to go either. I go back to the promises that we make in our baptism. The first is to live among God's faithful people, and that is, like you said, not necessarily going into a hole and, and forgetting about it or not engaging with the church because you may disagree with something that the pastor said or someone else said and sitting next to you in in worship, but it is engaging people to live among people and to be that presence of God in the world. Absolutely. And to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed. So that is going back to Scripture and reading Scripture and seeing what did Jesus do in similar situations when people were going against the, the forgotten, the lost, the people who were cast aside, what did Jesus do? Did he forget them, or did he say that they weren't welcome um, because they were different? Did he say that they need to fend for themselves, or did he reach out and make help available to them, either by helping them directly or empowering them to find help for themselves by supporting them, by loving them, by caring for them? And, you know, that's 
I think, what Jesus did, and I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. I'd agree with that, and just to say, I mean, he, he ultimately befriended them. I mean, those were the people, like, the losers were the people that Jesus wanted to be with. Right. It was not the elites, and it was not the religious people, which, when we get so divided, really gives me pause, since I'm one of the religious people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also one of the people that has certain opportunities that a lot of others don't share. And I say, okay, what what does that mean for me, and where am I—it's okay to be challenged— in my assumptions. I remember a couple of churches ago for me being confronted by someone and just saying, you know, we're not paying you to tell us things we don't believe already or something to that extent. They, he was he was saying, I don't want to be challenged, was basically his message. Right. I said, well, that's, we, we got to do what we think is right. Jesus is always challenging people, including me, to get out of my comfort zone and, and think about things in a different way. And we can disagree on how to do that or what that looks like. But I don't think it's okay to just say everything's fine and it'll go away. You're right. It's yeah. not okay to say that. And it's important to engage in those conversations, which may be a little bit uncomfortable, but also, again, going back to what Scripture is telling us to do. Uh, and another promise made in our baptism is to serve all people following the example of Jesus, to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. For me, that is a key component that we so often forget. You know, when we think about our baptism and the promises made in our baptism, we think about, yeah, we should be going to worship, we should study the Scripture, we should study the Creed and the Ten Commandments, we should participate in, in communion with one another, but this to strive for justice and peace in all the earth is, I think, critical to our life of faith. And I think that is connecting with those, like we said, who may be the lost or forgotten like Jesus did. And, and our position of the religious authority, the religious elite, puts that in a different perspective, but it's also not just sitting around with the 1% of the 1% and saying, life is dandy and these are my best friends and this is what I'm going to do. To really make our communities what God intends them to be is to connect with people personally and to befriend them and to lift them up and help each other to the best of our abilities. What do you think justice is? It just seems to me that we talk about justice a lot, but we don't really define it. I mean, I have some ideas, and maybe it's a mixture of all of these, but I mean, is it just about fairness, or is it just about equal opportunity, or is it retribution or revenge, or is it, you know, what's owed somebody? Or is it uh, making somebody whole? Is it being righteous? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to be a lot of those things. Is it doing right by people? Is it, uh, is it repenting of your own actions, inactions, and, and just especially things you're totally oblivious to, uh, to just kind of open yourself up to see things from somebody else's perspective? I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? What is, what is justice? I want to say it's a little bit of everything that you said, but that's the easy way out. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, when I think about justice, I think about wholeness. And I think about equality. There was a, a time when I was studying prison ministry and the, the things about connecting with those who are incarcerated. And one of the elements of that is restorative justice. And here are individuals who have been convicted of a crime, and some of the folks that I worked with, serious crimes. And there is some sort of 
mentality in the the prison system is you know if you've done this whatever x is if you've done x then you need to be locked up and have the key thrown away that is your punishment for committing that crime and the idea behind restorative justice was to empower that person to reflect upon their life and to make the changes to move forward and to find peace in their actions, but also peace within the crime that they committed and peace within themselves. So that idea for for justice is not just you've done X and you receive this punishment, but it's making the person whole again and making the, the victims whole again. It's actions taken towards steps to be able to do that. That reminds me of the um, story of the drowning man. Have you ever used that in a sermon? I've used it a few times. But it's one of those stories that I don't think is actually true, but it's it's stated like it is. You know what I mean? Right. Kind of a, right. a, a myth. A, a parable. A, a good a, a parable, yeah. It's the idea that um, – and it was in some movie in the 90s, I think, um, is where it got popular. But it was a whole idea that if – in this particular village, if if someone had murdered someone else, the the person who was then convicted of the crime was put either on a boat or on a rock in the middle of the river, and the the family of the victim, of the person who was killed, got to decide what to do with that person. You could let them drown out there, and then you would have justice in that way, the punishment received for the crime. Or you could rescue the person. But the, the catch is if you rescued the person from the rock or the boat in the middle of the raging river, now that person was part of your family. Oh, wow. It's powerful. Yeah. Uh, just, just to think of the implications of that. I mean, it's not just, okay, you did this and this is what you, you're getting what you deserve now. Or, you know, the way we work in our justice system, you know, what can you get away with? Or how do you get paroled? Or, you know what I mean? Like, yep. how do you get out of it? is the way we tend to, to think of it. But this is, it's not just restorative, it's almost creating something new. It is, and, it's, and that's interesting to, to think about, and especially when we relate this to the positions of power that you and I find ourselves in as white males, middle class professionals who are also in the church, and right. to think about the, the power that we have, and we could easily go about our lives and worry just about ourselves and our family and and the congregations that we serve, or are we also called to stand up and to seek justice for those who may be cast aside, who are lost or forgotten? And I think, at least from my perspective and, and from your perspective, from the conversations we've had, we are called to stand up for those. We are called to reach out and to uh, speak out against the injustices of the world, which is tearing people apart instead of building them up. Yep. I also have been doing a little reading and just some reflection lately just on all of this and um, thinking, you know, one of the one of the positions that the church is in or should be in is as kind of the conscience of the greater society so that whatever group is in power, and in our country we have two major parties, whatever party seems to have the majority, you're not either for or against them, but you kind of stand as a reminder uh, of what's at stake you know, to whoever's in power. Right. So that the in any society, you're going to have those on the margins and that 
the church's job is to remind those in power of who's on the margins, regardless of who is in power. And uh, sometimes the way that looks to people, I think, is that, well, you must be part of the other party then. Right, right. And and really, I think it's it's better to probably be a party, uh, like atypical, you know, like not part of either one, even though people, of course, vote and, and do those things. But but the church's position should not be the ally of the of the ones in power, but as the one that always kind of has a voice in their ear about justice, about a different vision than what any government can provide to the people. In the church, we need to have a different mindset and, and to think about things a little differently, and, and it's important to have that reminder and, and think that when I am part of the church or when I'm part of something bigger, when I'm thinking about my life of faith, I, th- I need to think about things a little differently and I need to act a little differently than the, the typical person. And does that have implications then on the way you participate in the wider society? I would hope so. Yes. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a part of the conversation. In fact, it's probably better if you are part of the conversation. Right. And it's not supposed to be something that's restrictive, but it is, for me anyway, freeing to know that this is what I'm a part of, This and my faith definitely plays a part in the decisions that I make in the world, especially how I relate to another person, and, and even in thinking about the larger society and how our society is run, which includes who am I going to vote for in the election. Yeah, what do you, what do you make, though, of the underlying anger? Is there a way to engage that and disarm it a little bit? I would love to believe that there is. I'm just personally not seeing that right now. I do not see that as well, and that's uh, unfortunate and whenever I have tried to engage in the last couple of months in, in civil conversation, it just turns into, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, finger pointing. And it's not even on the issues, it's just on the personalities or the perception of individuals. You know, unfortunately, the way that our media portrays things, primarily, right. it is not necessarily all true. So we can say whatever we want, and we can say it as fact. And there are some people who truly think it is fact, but on both sides of the table, both Republicans and Democrats, there are so many falsehoods that are out there, it's hard to know what is true and what is not true. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, just another reminder, I mean, as many media outlets as there are in 24-hour coverage and, you know, Facebook has a million different postings about this, that, and the other thing is to, to really look at what the sources of those things are. Right. And also just to be reminded that the reason there's media is not to actually tell you the truth, it's to sell the advertising. Right. And so if we just kind of keep that in mind, the sensationalization of everything is part fabrication intentionally to keep you interested so they can sell more advertising. <laughs> we just have to be honest about that. You know, whatever news subscriptions you participate in, the reason they're in business is to make money. It's not just to tell you stuff. So we just have to be honest about that. And then with that, be clear that we need to actually discern information. You can't just read it and take it as fact. You have to compare it to other things and look at the sources. I mean, it's it is that more work? Yeah. Part of, I think, being a citizen is you, is you need to be engaged in a way that you, you're checking the credibility of what's being told. My hope is that we can check those sources and, and discernfully pray about what we think the truth is, 
you know, and, and if we wanted to, you know, get a ton of listeners to this podcast episode, we can title it something that is totally outrageous and we can say whatever we want. I mean, we can title this right. like, we know who's going to win the election or Trump is bad or Hillary is bad and this is why or the, the church thinks that whatever, you know, and, right. uh, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. It's not to get as many listeners as possible. It is to help you engage in the connection of your faith in your life. And part of our life right now is the reality that things are intensely divisive. And how does our faith play into that? One of the places we talked about going is scripture. And the other day when we were talking about this a little bit, you had this scripture from Ephesians that really, I think, said a lot about what the gospel and what God is telling us to do when we engage with one another. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, and, uh, well, I'll just read it, and then we can talk about it. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. I think that is profound, countercultural, and exactly a faith I want to hope in. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Uh, because uh, for a couple of reasons, one, I think it's worth acknowledging our inability to reconcile it on our own. You know, there is a certain human brokenness, sinfulness, inability to perfect society. I mean, it's just not going to happen as hard as we try at it or whoever we elect help guide that we just there's always going to be some some pieces that aren't quite right but our our hope is our faith is about the one who restores all things and that's jesus so put to place our hope there and not in ourselves i think first of all is really important one we we don't idolize ourselves or our leaders or our system of government or where we live or our income level or our connections or any of those things, we, we put them in a proper place because we know that ultimately we're not the ones in charge. Right. And then they have the hope that things will get better. They We have a vision of, of the way we're intended to live and what is promised to us. You know, there are certain things you take as givens that can never happen. You know, when the Berlin Wall went up, you know, it had this kind of permanent sense of east versus west and this will never get better. And yet the wall came down. And I, I would love to believe, I'm hopeful to believe that in our country, as divided it is, whether it's over race or whether it's over income levels, or whether it's over rural versus city, or whether it's the two major political parties, that there is a way that that will get better. And for me, the only way that that can get better is to place our trust in what God does for us in Christ. Now, does that have social implications? I think it does. It definitely um, does. And I don't think I'm going to back down from that. Will we get it wrong? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Will we learn from it? I hope so. But I don't know. There's the vision in Revelation, too, of, you know, kind of all parties coming back together around the, the tree of life and crying in pain and tears will be no more. I mean, that's that's something to believe in. That's powerful imagery right there. It is. And um, if it's just about us and what we can do in our lifetime here on Earth in the means we have, good luck. I mean, there's... Can things get better? They can, but I, I just I can't see an overarching way where all of our differences will get resolved. Does that mean we stop 
peacemaking? No, of course not. I think it, it's the reason we do it. It's what compels us to say what we have different going for us and the message we have is not that one side is right and that one side is wrong. It's that two sides are estranged from each other and there's a better way. I don't know. We just got to keep putting ourselves in the middle, I think. Starting with this scripture, especially these two verses, Ephesians 2 verses 13 and 14 is so critical and so impactful. You know, verse 13 Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So those who were considered far off, those who were considered outcasts, those who were considered the least of the least, the lost and the forgotten, you are brought back into the community, into the fold, so to speak, through the blood of Christ, through what Jesus went through and and how Jesus died on the cross for our sake. So we are brought back into the fold, because of Christ. And then, for he is our peace, for, for Jesus is our peace. And in his flesh, he has made both groups into one. Now, imagine that, both groups into one. I mean, yeah. isn't that incredible? Yeah, and to go back to the drowning man image, I mean, that's, and you brought up baptism before, I mean, that's that's what's going on here, right? I mean, we're the one that's out on the raft or on the rock because we deserve nothing less than that uh, in the way we are so dis- divisive and destructive towards one another, and yet Christ is the one that goes in the water and brings us into a new family right? and says, you are you are part of this now. And, it, and, uh, and it's every yeah. single time, every single time right. we have done something or we have forgotten to do something or every single time we've made a, an obnoxious comment on Facebook or we've yelled at someone because of who they are supporting in the presidential election or times we've ignored our, our friends or family because of something else in our life. I mean, every single time. Jesus goes back out to that rock, and he brings us back. And not only does he lead us back, but he carries us back and brings right. us back into the fold, into the family. And I, I can't think of anything else or any other situation that I could possibly be in where that could happen. Amen. And then 14, the second part of 14, and he has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Now, there's been a lot of talk about walls, <laughs> and, and we we've seen quite a bit of hostility. <laughs> we've seen quite a bit of hostility, and it's just incredible at what what God can do in breaking down those walls, the walls that separate us from each other, the walls that we have built because we are angry at someone, we are disgusted with someone, we disagree with someone. You know, every time we make those comments or we see a comment, a brick starts to stack up, and that wall separates us from each other. And then there's a separation of of us and God, where those walls are, again, built up every time we start to sin, every time we turn our back on God, every time we forget about God, those walls continue to build, and it is God who breaks down those walls, who breaks down the wall between us and God and us with one another. And again, that happens, and we could either ignore it, or we can accept it and just thank God for supporting us and doing that, that for us. 
speaking of two things, one, when you were talking about the walls, again, I uh, was re- reminded of that kid's song about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Yeah. And the walls come yeah. tumbling down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the other part I was thinking about is Luther's explanations in the uh, small catechism about when we pray, your kingdom come, what does that mean? And it's, uh, you know, we pray, we know that God's kingdom comes even without our asking for it, but we pray in this prayer that it would come in and among us. That is where our calling is, is that the kingdom is coming. The rest- This restorative new creation is, is going to continue to unfold. And what we pray for, and then hopefully what we strive to do in our daily lives is, is to be a part of it. Right. And that starts, I think, by ceasing to look at those who disagree with us as enemies, but as as people that also God loves and wants to restore and bring bring those walls down uh, so we can see each other as sisters and brothers again. So we got a lot of work to do, I think. That's for sure. We do uh, have a lot of work to do, and we unfortunately don't have all the answers. You know, we, we cannot sit here right now and, and tell you who you should vote for, or who is right or who is wrong. You know, all we can say is what we think God is calling us to do, and that is to engage with one another, to respect one another, to continue to live in community, and to discern what God is calling us to do. Yeah, I was listening to this thing on NPR the other day, and they were talking about how our the U.S. relations with Russia have deteriorated so deeply and what to do about it. And um, one of the comments that the, the person who was on, I don't remember who he was, but he was some general, I believe. He said, you know, we have a tendency to think that when we, when we have a war or a battle, that when it resolves, it's over, when really that's when the real work has to start. Right. Uh, and it, and the way he was talking was, you know, we, the United States had won the Cold War, and then we just kind of made Russia our friend, and we said, okay, everything's good. But it, you know, it still takes a lot of work to continue to build those relationships. Where I'm going with it is, I mean, we're going to have an election in a couple of weeks, and um, it will get resolved. But that's when the real work needs to start. I mean, that's where whoever wins or or doesn't win has lots of supporters and need need to find a way to bring back into the fold. I mean, that was one of the brilliant things I think Lincoln did after the Civil War was not to punish the South, but to say we need to rebuild and consider them our sisters and brothers in the country again. Was that perfect? Absolutely not. And we're still feeling the ramifications of that. But again, I think it's worth the struggle together to say that we're in this together and we need to figure out what it means to to live together as God's people. And if Christ is the one who's breaking down the walls and it's not just about us, I think that's a good place to start. When uh, Barack Obama was first elected president in 2008, a few days after the election results were announced, I was on Facebook and I liked his public page. And I had someone send me a message, how could you like that page? You know, he's going to destroy this country, blah, 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 blah. And my response was, it doesn't matter to me who was elected. Yeah, I had my opinions and I had, you know, my vote and but in the end, I'm going to support whoever is elected the president of the United States and I still hold fast to that belief today that you know, I'm going to do everything I can to support the person who is elected the president of our country 
later on in November when we hear all of the results. And that might be easy. That might be difficult. You know, it might be a surprise. I have no idea at this point what's going to happen. But all I can hope for is this idea of, like you said, reconciliation and acceptance and support after the election is over and finding ways to bring in those people who might feel uh, like they are on the outside because of the results of the election. Yeah, and maybe support is a is a is the wrong word only because it might imply endorsement one way or the other. But I think to pray for that leader to do the right thing on behalf of all the people, especially those on the margins. Yeah, I do that too. Right. Through both, you know, we've been through enough elections, and I've been a leader in the church where I've done that for both parties, of course. But then our second part is to be that voice of reason and also to be a voice of, of conscience and a, a voice of we can work together and find ways to do it. Yeah, that's interesting, the idea of support meaning endorsement. Uh, just in a way that, I mean, because we're so divided, you say something like that, that's what people, I think, sometimes infer, you know? Right, right. Which is exactly your, your like, uh, liking the page experience you shared. Right, right. So I'm still a little weary. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm feeling a little better. I am too. It's it's good to talk about these things and to think about them and, and to pray about them and figure out how we can not only live in a time like we are right now, but finding ways to find that peace that we um, receive through the love of God and, and to find that uh, sense of justice and what does that mean in our world today and to come together as a community, as the body of Christ and to say, yeah, there are certain things that we are not going to agree on, but to find ways where that wall that we build up between us and between God and between us and other countries may be torn down and the hostility that's between us is somewhat dissipated because of God coming into our lives. Amen. Well, I want to thank you, Jeff, for having this conversation, and I want to thank you, listener, for joining us today um, as we talk about these difficult but important things in our life. And if you want to connect with us, if you have questions for us um, about the content in this episode today or about anything else we've talked about on our podcast, you can do that by going to our uh, website, twobaldpastors.com, and you can find ways to connect with us there. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash twobaldpastors. We are also releasing some material to help you deepen your faith and to connect with God and your family for the season of Advent. If you have not already checked that out, please do so by going to twobaldpastors.com backslash advent, and you can find all the information there. Well, thanks, Joe, for uh, sharing in this conversation. It was not an easy one, but uh, a good one to have. I thought maybe we could close our time together today if I read the prayer of St. Francis. That would be awesome. Please do. All right. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.